which is the unlawful taking of innocent life, but we are to be for the preservation of life. So we as God's children need to be proactive about preserving the life that God has given to mankind. But as we continue in our study of the book of Exodus and specifically these Ten Commandments, we come to a very important topic, and God's Word is very clear. It says, You shall not commit adultery. It's not a very long verse, but it's very much clear and to the point. Do not commit adultery. Um, At the very root of this commandment are purity, holiness, and the preservation and sanctity of marriage. And can I say by definition, adultery is the act of married adults engaging in sexual activity with someone of the opposite sex who is not their spouse. And let me just say for a moment this morning, sometimes people say, well, great, I'm off the hook. I'm not involved in any type of extramarital affair. I'm not involved in adultery, so I'm off the hook. But can I also say that along with this topic, there is another word that runs very parallel to it. It's called fornication. And I think one of the only differences between adultery and fornication is that fornication is engaging in sexual activity outside of marriage. So you say, well, I may not be involved in adultery, but I hope that we can also say that we're not involved in fornication either. I used to hear the statistics of what takes place in churches. I used to always think to myself, oh, no, not in my church. Not with the people that I know. And the longer I live, the more I realize that the statistics are very, very true. Uh, There are are occasions that people come to me and say, Pastor, I'm struggling with this, or I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with this. And I think to myself, yes, statistics are true. Unless we jump to conclusions, it's not a statistic that is affected only by men. It's a statistic that is equally affected by women across the board in churches all across America. So why are we discussing this in a worship service such as ours, you might ask? Well, statistics tell us a haunting truth about the widespread of adultery in our land. In fact, more than 30% of, 30% of males polled who dared to tell the truth admitted to having an adulterous affair. And I have to wonder how many times, if 30% of men who told the truth were being very honest about it, I wonder about how many people were not being honest about it. And furthermore, along with adultery, I may not be married, but I wonder how much percent of our churches across America are involved in areas of fornication. Uh, Pornography and internet pornography and magazines and and illicit things that should not be put in front of our eyes. It's an alarming poll. In fact, some organizations reported that their polls revealed that nearly 60% who dared to be honest admitted to having an adulterous affair. And some of these statistics were taken from infidelity.com. And realize, amongst us, there are people who are looking to break you in your walk with God. There are people who are looking to destroy you. God's Word tells us that in 1 Peter 5. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You say, this does not affect me. You're, You're fooling yourself. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. And the way that we're going to overcome these statistics, the only way that we're going to overcome these sinful attacks on our lives as believers is to be in the word on a regular basis. So here's an interesting fact to consider, a thought to consider. 
that some statistics reveal that 53% of all marriages end in divorce. On the other hand, only 3% of arranged marriages end in divorce. Maybe it's time that marriages should be based on biblical principle rather than a host of other things. Now I know that goes against our culture, doesn't it? By the way, Jake, I'm arranging your marriage. He's like, nah, sorry, Dad. You know, 3% versus 53%? They might be on to something here. I know it wouldn't work well in our culture, though. (laughs) But while the seventh commandment is clear and to the point, do not commit adultery, I believe that God's word speaks to the truth over and over again. And like many other Old Testament commandments, carried a very steep consequence for disobeying the command. Last week we noticed that as we were talking about do not kill, that God was very clear about if you take someone's life, your life will be taken. The week before that we looked at honor thy father and thy mother. And if you didn't honor your father and your mother, if you disregarded their obedience and, and disobeyed them, the consequence was steep. Also in the Old Testament, the consequence for adultery was also very steep. In fact, it tells us in Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 20, it says, And you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife, and so make yourself unclean. And then in verse tw- chapter 20, verse 10, it says, If a man commits adultery with his wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. I realize that in today's culture that's not always the case. And for many people across the board who come to know Christ at a later stage after some of these happen, praise God. But the bottom line is this. God's Word is very clear and the consequences are great. In Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 22 it says, If a man is found lying with his wife of another man, both of them shall die. The man who lay with this woman and the woman, so shall you purge the evil from Israel. He said this thing has to be dealt with. If it's not dealt dealt with, it just goes rampant and unchecked. By purging, it remains clear the idea of what God has in store for us as far as purity. And in Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 32, it says this, He who commits adultery lacks sense, and he who does it destroys himself. I've heard so many times people in the past say, Well, it's not bothering anyone else. If I can do it and get away with it, what, what matter does it make? It makes a lot of matter because it destroys from within. And it's amazing how we see on commercials, as we were sitting in there just watching a watching a game on TV or watching an episode, and all of a sudden the, the uh, ad- advertising comes on for Ashley Madison or whatever that website is, that encourages people to have affairs. You can do this secretly and nobody will find out and it will add spice to your marriage. No, it won't. It will destroy. And it says that the man who does this lacks sense. Why? Because at the very core of do not commit adultery is that God is for marriage. God is for the sanctity of marriage. God is for marriages lasting forever. That's His best plan. And I realize that's not always the case, but we need to understand this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 9, it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. And verse 11 teaches us that God does forgive, though, and I'm thankful for that. But God is for the sanctity and the holiness that is involved with marriage. Consider the heartbreak and the adultery that it causes. In fact, if you would take your Bibles this morning and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. I want to read 
uh, a good portion of this chapter, but bear with me as I read it this morning. Familiar story, I'm sure, to many of us. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he arrived, he said to him, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and the other poor. And the rich man had a large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one small ewe lamb that that he had bought. He raised it and grew it up, living with him and his children. It shared his meager food and drank from his cup. It slept in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man could not bring himself to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guest. David was infuriated with the man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Because he has done this thing and shown no pity, he must pay four lambs for that lamb. Then Nathan replied to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord God of Israel says, I anoint you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that wasn't enough, I would have given you even more. Why then have you despised the command of the Lord by doing what I consider evil? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife as your own wife. You murdered him with Ammonite's sword. Now therefore, the sword will never leave your house because you despise me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own wife. This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on you from your own family. I will take your wives and give them to another before your very eyes, and he will sleep with them publicly. You acted in secret, but I will do this before all Israel and in broad daylight. And David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Then Nathan replied to David, The Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. However, because you treated the Lord with such contempt in this matter, the son born to you will die. Then Nathan went home. The Lord struck the baby that Uriah's wife had born to David, and it became ill. David pleaded with God for the boy. He fasted, went home, and spent the night lying in the ground. The elders of this house stood before him to get him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and would not eat anything with them. On the seventh day, the baby died. But David's servants were afraid to tell him the baby was dead. They said, look, while the baby was alive, we spoke to him, and he wouldn't listen to us. So how can we tell him the baby is dead? He may do something desperate. And when David saw that his servants were whispering to each other, he guessed that the baby was dead. So he asked his servants, is the baby dead? He is dead, they replied. Verse 20, then David got up from the ground. He washed, anointed himself changed his clothes, went to the Lord's house and worshipped. Then he went home and requested something to eat, so he served him food and he ate. Sometimes we don't think, what will be the consequence of my actions if I go forward with what's in my mind? The bottom line is, David took something that was not his to take. Yet God was gracious. He didn't do all that he said he would do to him. He didn't die. Because of that very thing. God's grace was there. But consider the heartbreak that adultery causes. Nobody wins. Everybody loses when adultery takes place. In fact, it's amazing to me, and it has been for many years, how David could be called a man after God's own heart, after doing such a wicked thing. But can I also say, 
we've all done wicked things. And the bottom line is, I think the difference is this. Verse 13, David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. You see, when we sin, sometimes it's in contempt. Sometimes it's at a matter of, I'll get even, or I can do what I want. It's not going to bother anyone. But David hit the nail on the head. When we sin, it is not against that person. Oh, maybe against that person, but in a greater sense, it's against God. And the repentance was towards God. I have sinned against the Lord. In fact, the heartbreak of adultery runs deep. Turn your Bibles over to Psalm chapter 51. You're familiar with this one as well. Psalm chapter 51. Some of your topics above this chapter may say something like a prayer for restoration. But look at verse 1. It says, Be gracious to me, God. According to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion, wash away my guilt, and cleanse me from my sin. You see, the only way that you can be a man or a woman of God, living in the sinful, sinfulness of this world, is to be open and honest and transparent about our sin before God. You see, you can't hide it from Him anyway. In fact, God's Word tells us in the book of Proverbs that he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. In Psalm 66, it tells us that if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Psalm 139 tells us that no matter where you go, no matter what you do, God is there. He sees everything. And I want to highlight, it's not just adultery, but also the fornication that gets involved. Sexually involved sexual involvement outside the confines of marriage. And correct sexual activity within the confines of marriage. He says, wash my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. Why did he have guilt? Because he was living in sin. But he's repenting. He says, for I, am, for I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. He says, God, you are absolutely correct. You are absolutely right in that you have every right as a sovereign God, to give me any sentence that you desire. I'm guilty. He says, indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful in my mother, when my mother conceived me. And surely you desire integrity in the inner self. And you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And he goes on and just cries out before God. And he says, I want this right relationship. You see, God has established a rightfulness. A right relationship with Him then a right relationship with our spouses. And that's very important that we follow that. What should be my response if I'm involved with it? Be open and transparent and repentant before God. But above all, we catch a glance from the Word of God that adultery is forbidden has terrible consequences. So at the very core of the seventh commandment is the preservation and sanctity of marriage. And what a blessing marriage is. So, from God's Word, what does it teach us about marriage? How do we guard ourselves against adultery? Well, First of all, look, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to read first of all verse 31. 
Verse 31 says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Can I just say this first of all, that a decision must be made. If you are going to preserve marriage the way God wants marriage preserved, a decision has to be made. It says, For this reason man shall leave his father and mother... I'm no longer tied by the umbilical cord of what my parents can or cannot do for me if I go forward in this marriage relationship. I will listen to their advice. I will listen for their counsel when it comes to things that I need to grow in. But my mom is not my wife now. My wife is my wife. For this reason, he leaves. A decision is made. We are now becoming one flesh before God. And then it goes on and says this. That the mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up each one of you, to love his wife himself as the wife is to, be, to respect her husband. And goes on to tell us in God's word that man is to love his wife even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Let me just tell you, men, if you will love your wife the way Christ loved the church, your marriage will be safe. Is that true? If you will love your wives as God has commanded you to love them, your marriage will be safe. I don't think we have to worry about what's going to be the reciprocal action when we do what we're right. When we do what is right. Now let me say, Christ has to be at the center. I realize that there are circumstances in our lives where maybe in a second marriage or whatever, where one spouse is not saved. I get that. I'm not trying to cast judgment in any way. I'm just saying from a believer's standpoint, when we love our wives as God loved the church and gave Himself for it, God will protect the marriage. And I think it's very important that we understand this. Because I know that I, I can speak for myself in this marriage, in, or in this aspect of marriage, and my kids can give testimony to this. There are times that I am just extremely selfish. And I would suppose that there are many of you that could say the same thing. And because we are extremely selfish, we want what we want, when we want it, as often as we want it, for as long as we want it, because that's what it's all about, pleasing myself. But when God is at the center and I'm starting to please Him, then, not, then it's not about me anymore. I love it. As the older I get in my marriage, and I realize I've only been married for half of the years that some of you have been married, this summer will be 21 years. I'm excited for it in July. 21 years. I look back at some of our best years of celebrating our anniversary, like a few years back when we went to Shoney's and charged the air conditioner on the truck. That was our big anniversary. You know? But it's the memories. And it's the year by year, the day by day, and it hasn't always been easy. It hasn't always been fun but I love her more and more every day. I realize how blessed of God I am. Can I just say this? So a decision has to be made. I'm leaving father and mother, and I'm going to be committed to this one. That's God's perfect plan in a perfect world. And can I just say this? In the sanctity of marriage, there are boundaries. There are rules. And I didn't make this up. In Hebrews chapter 3, 13, verse 4, it says, Marriage must be respected by all. And the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge immoral people and adulterers. 
So he puts it in both lights there. He says he'll judge the immoral, that's people who want to be sexually involved outside of marriage, as well as those who are married who look to fulfill sexual satisfaction outside of marriage. Both will be judged of God. And it's amazing to me how many times over the years as I've done wedding ceremonies, uh, probably close to 15 or 20, I don't know, somewhere in there over the last 20 years, and I always have these series of questions and people look at me like I'm absolutely crazy. But here's what I want them to understand. God has a plan. And in that plan, He has boundaries. And as He says in Hebrews 13:4, the bed is only undefiled in marriage. That means premarital sex is sin. It's immoral. And God says, I'll judge that. It means that outside of marriage, sex outside of that with your wife, your spouse, is also adultery, and that will be judged as well. And so the bottom line is, if I want God's blessing on my marriage, I have to do marriage His way. It just goes to show that God has order involved in His plan for marriage. So it says this, Marriage must be respected by all. And the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge immoral people and adulterers. Then it goes on. If you would take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. I want to read several verses beginning with verse 15. I went to a couple's retreat. Actually, we hosted a couple's retreat where I was an assistant pastor in Elkhart, Indiana, Grace Bible Church. And we had Dr. Charles Wood come in, and he did a, a weekend retreat for us for married couples, and it was awesome. I'll never forget. It was just a great time of fun and fellowship and uh, playing games, and, and it was just a lot of fun. And uh, but I remember his message is very clear. He talked about couples tennis and the illustrations he used, and still very vivid and clear in my mind. But one of the statements he made was this. The sexually satisfied seldom stray. Sexually satisfied seldom stray. Because the bottom line is when God brings two people together in marriage, they're to encourage one another in that relationship sexually. And Proverbs chapter 5, beginning with verse 15, says this. Drink water from your own cistern, water flowing from your own well. Should your spring flow in the streets, streams of water in the public squares... They should be for you alone and not for you to share with strangers. Let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful fawn, let her breast always satisfy you. Be lost in her love forever. God designed it for each one to satisfy the other. I love what's um, been put on the inside of my father and mother-in-law's rings. They both have wide band uh, wedding bands. And on each of them, both... Uh, uh, both of their wedding bands that says, each for the other, both for God. I love that. Because God brought us together to encourage and satisfy and help one another. But we're both doing that for God. Each for the other, both for God. So how can I protect my marriage? How can, I be all that, how, how can my marriage be all that God wants it to be so that we can move forward and not have to worry about becoming involved with adultery 
Or on the other side, before married with fornication and immorality. Well, follow God's plan. Love your wife as God loved the church and gave himself for it. Do all that you can to honor God first and then honor your wife. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 30 says this. You have heard that it was said, you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. What's he saying? Guard yourself. Guard. Guard. Guard your marriage. If there are things that cause you to be tempted outside of marriage, get rid of it. If there are things that are causing you to go down the wrong path, choose a different path that's right and holy before God. Hold your marriage up in honor. Guard your eyes and guard your thoughts. One last passage I want to look at this morning. In Matthew chapter 15. Verse 19 and 20. It says, For from the heart come evil thoughts, murderers, and here it is, adulterers, adulteries, sexual immoralities. And he goes on and talks about thefts, false testimonies, blasphemies. And he says, These are things that defile a man. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile man. What's he saying here? For from the heart come these things. Out of the heart, actions flow. So guys, women, what we need to do is to guard our heart before God. Let me just say this. Um, it's really easy sometimes for a pastor to get up in front of the entire people and say, well, bless God, this is the way it's got to be, and this is what the Word says, and I'm not apologizing for that in any way, shape, or form, because thus saith the Lord. But let me also say, I'm not judging. I realize that there are circumstances in every one of our lives that if we would pick, if we were to choose, we wouldn't have picked them, we wouldn't have choose them. We wouldn't have gone down the path that some of us have gone down. So what am I saying? It's never too late to start doing what's right. There may be circumstances in your life that are right now taking place. And you say, well, what do I do about it? I've got this situation. Start doing right from this point. When God says, this is the way it needs to be, then do our best to say, this is what I want to do. Because from the heart, if my heart is to honor God in all these things, then my mind will say, you know what? This is in my heart. This is what my mind needs to dwell on. This is what I'm going to do. My decision is made. But when I say I know the truth, and I'm confronted with it, and I choose to disregard it, then it's a rebellious heart towards God saying, I'm going to do my way, because I like my way better. And that's sinfulness. And that's going to create a life that God will not honor, that God will not bless. The bottom line is, we can all make choices starting today. God is for a righteous and holy life, which is at the very core of do not commit adultery. God has blessed the marriage. And I still believe it's between one man and one woman. God did not design it any other way. You won't find any other examples of it in Scripture. So I unapologetically say God is for the husband and a wife. That was the example that he gave to us. And it's the example we need to follow even in our culture. Amen? Stand for what's right. Guard your marriage. Guard your heart.
Guard your eye gates, guys. Guide your minds so that you can be holy and righteous before God. So you say, I'm involved in some of these things. Start today to do what's right. It's never too late to start doing what's right. If you're involved with it, repent as David did. God, I know what we deserve because of it. David says, that man should die, right? And we should all die for our sins. But because of God's mercy and God's grace and his patience with us as his children, he's a God of second chances. Amen? I'm so thankful for that. But it's never too late to start doing right. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father,